it's always a privilege to bring God's word. Uh, and it's been such a beautiful morning, worshipping and just letting God speak into our hearts and settle into a spirit man. Um, so this morning we're continuing uh, on the book of Romans, and we're looking at Romans chapter 12. We're looking at the last bit of that passage. Uh, John started that off last week, and we did verse 1 to 8. So this morning, we're going to continue from verse 9 to 21. Uh, and I'd like us to read that passage together. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to open to Romans chapter 12, we'll be reading from verse 9 to 21. And it's up there as well. It says, Love must be sincere. Eat what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, I think in starting, any time you have to speak, at, um, when I look at my Bible, uh, and I was looking at two of my Bibles, one of them had the, sort of like the, the characteristics of where Christian is at the title for that part of the scriptures. It calls it the mark of the true Christian. Another one said love in action, but I think I'll go with the love in action, because I think I feel that's the emphasis of what God wants us to look at this morning. So the title for this morning will be love in action. And any time you have to speak on the subject of love, I don't know about you, but it's one of the subjects where the first thing is you see yourself in the mirror. And it gives that sense of just how far you fall short of God's expectation and God's demand upon your life. And it can do one of two things to you. It can make you cringe and lose the boldness and the passion to go into that world and see what God is saying. Or it can encourage you to realize that you've been called onto a higher calling. And God is calling you upward to grow and to increase in his call upon your life. And that your Savior has put a mark there. But he wants to bring you into further fullness and into further glory of what he's got for you. So for me, it always starts with a sense of repentance. And to go before the Lord and say, Lord... I am sorry. This is one of those things where sometimes I think, am I actually worthy to stand before your people and talk to them about this subject? 
So, you know, it's one of those things that just causes you to empty your heart before the Lord and see some of your own failings. But another opportunity to say, Lord, whatever you can do with me, do it, Lord. Because your grace is more than enough. So there is mercy every morning. That's what the scripture says. And Tina has been talking about the promises of God. And that's where the certainty of the freedom we have in Christ comes. And it's with that promises that I have the encouragement to bring the word of God to you today. Because I know in God's promises, His message is new for me every day. And as long as my heart is seeking Him and trusting after Him, I've got another chance tomorrow to make it right, even when I fail today. Amen. And so before we start, I've just asked Tyrell to come and bring a song, uh, just to set the scene for what we want to share with this morning. So I'm just going to let her bring that song, and then we'll just head off into the, what God has for us. Yeah. of yourself so that you may truly work and fully shine through us shine through us so let our lives be a picture of you dear Lord let our lives be a picture of you. Let us be letters written by your hand for the world to see and to feel and to read and to know you live, live in us. Holy Spirit, create in us the fruit of love, joy, patience, self-control, life of Christ in us, Christ in us. So let our lives be a picture of you, dear Lord. Let our lives be a picture of you. Let us be letters written by your hand for the world to see and to feel and to read. And to know you live, live in us. So let our lives be a picture of you, dear Lord. Let our lives be a picture of you. Let us be letters written by your hand for the world to see and to feel and to read and to know you live, live in. 
Father, that's a cry of a heart, Lord. May we never lose that desire, Lord. May we never lose that hunger and that thirst to see our lives become expression of you, Jesus. We have been adopted into your family. We have been grafted into your inheritance. Your spirit dwells within us, Lord. We have the nature of Christ within us. That's who we are, Lord. That's what you have made us by your spirit, Lord. So, Lord, let out of the abundance of our heart that we begin to speak and we begin to act out and we begin to live out your promises and your blessings upon our lives. So as we go into your word this morning, Lord, once again, will you speak to us? Let your word come with tenderness, with conviction, with challenge. Let it come with power, Lord. Let the anointing in your word come and break everything that stands in your way, Lord. Like a mighty hammer, let it crush. Like a boulder, let it ground to powder, Lord. Let it make a way. Bring that freedom that we have sung about, that we have prayed about this morning. Because when we know your truth, your truth makes us free. So, Lord, we embrace freedom this morning. We come expecting your word to bring freedom into each of our hearts. Not condemnation, Lord, but freedom to worship you and to serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, so when we look at that passage, if we go back to verse 9, it starts with an interesting phrase. It says, let love, it says, love most the sincere. And I thought that is such an interesting place to start. Because then it implies that it's possible that love may not be sincere. But then, can it be love if it's not sincere? And of course, First Corinthians chapter 13 gives us an idea what Paul was alluding to in that phrase. Because if you remember from First Corinthians chapter 13, it talks about many different acts and surveys and things that we can do and yet it says it's possible to do all of those things not motivated by God's love. Not motivated by love, but by other things. So there can be a lot of activities and a lot of what looks like good work, but it may not be love. So it's not just what we do, but how we do it and what motivates what we're doing. And I think that is such a powerful statement. As it introduces us once again to the subject. There is a love, and this love I'm talking about is not the love of conceit or vainglory of trying to, you know, build, uh, you know, uh, whatever it is around yourself. I'm talking about that sincere and genuine love which comes from God. And James tells us, that the love that comes from above, which comes through the wisdom of God, is first pure and peaceable. 
So with this love that God brings, there is a measure of purity and a measure of peaceableness that accompanies that. And that is one of the things that helps us to mark and to understand that we're working in God's kind of love. And there are all different kinds of love which we know. You know, you have the romantic love. You have the love between, you know, father and children. You have the love between siblings and family. And all of those are great, wonderful love. But when we come to this subject and when we come to this issue, it's reminding us again that this is about God's love. This is about agape. This is about God's own nature. And when I came into that passage again this morning, I found that extremely comforting. I don't know about you. Because when I see what I can do in my own strength, I see just how far short I fall. But when I realize that this call is to press in into the love that God has already shared abroad in my heart by His Holy Spirit... And that what he is laying his hands upon, and this call, as we look at this passage, is not a call to labor in self-love and human love, which falls very far short of what God's expectation upon my life is all about. Know that this is a call for me to lay hold of the love that he has already poured in my heart by his Holy Spirit. His own very nature, which enables me to work and live in that which is called me to do. And for me, that was affirming and reassuring. Because then it gave me hope to press into this, knowing that He's taking me on a journey, not in my own strength, but by the strength of a spirit within me. And that he's not asking me something which I do not have, but rather he's asking me to look at what he's already given me, focus on it, and begin to learn the true nature of it, and begin to walk in the fullness of what he has designed it to be. And this is how you begin to exercise, growing it, and see an increase in fruitfulness and reality of that love that is calling us into And that for me was such a freedom to approach this passage. Because suddenly, it was about a love letter from my father, who really loves me, who cares about me, who's put a stamp upon my heart, who saved me, who has delivered me, who has rescued me, who wants to express himself. And like that song Tyre says, he wants me to be his hands, he wants me to be his feet, he wants me to be a letter written by his hands. The Bible says the love of God has been written in the heart. He has written it on the tablet of our heart. It is the work of his spirit within us. It's an expression of who he is and he cannot wait to begin to reveal to us and through us, all that the cross of Christ has delivered for us. So love must be sincere. And so when we look at that passage, I was looking at my Mighty Harry's commentary, and he gave a really lovely breakdown of, of this passage. And he talks about love and some of his attributes and characteristics, and he gave about seven important bits, which you can see as you look at each of these verses. And because of time, I'm just going to quickly mention the seven and, and just r- quickly run through it. And then I'm going to spend the last bit to think about this love in action. What does it mean for you and I as a child of God and as being in Emmanuel at this present point in time 
in terms of what God is calling us to and what God wants to do with each one of us. I sense there is an application and a response that God wants to challenge and bring. So verse 10, it talks about devoted to one another in brotherly love. And he calls it an affectionate love. A love that comes with that brotherly affection. That is devoted to one another. And I want you to take note of that word devotion because I'm going to come back to it later. But it says this kind of love that God is calling us to is a love that devotes us to one another. There is an affectionate component about it. There is a warm fuzzy feel about it actually. And that's alright. That's okay. That's part of what this love is about. It's not a cold, calculating, purpose-driven, target-driven love. That is an affectionate and warmth and empathy that this love generates within us. The next thing it says, it says it is a respectful love. And when we talk about respectful, if you look at that word, it talks about honoring one another. When we honor one another, we're respecting one another. We're giving each other uh, a, a, an honor and a blessing that we think we deserve. And that is happening because of that law. It says in honor, prefer one another. We're not ambitious and competing with one another. We're not trying to get one over the other. We're not trying to so bring yourself up that you trample upon your... No, actually, you're fighting over one another to see how can I promote my brother? How best can I show you? How can I look out for the good in you? How can I make sure my emphasis and my focus is on seeing the best in you, celebrating that, bringing that and releasing that grace and helping you to see the best in you, even though I know by no means you're perfect. But my focus is not on your imperfections. My focus is to help you see how, where your strength is and to be encouraged by that and move on to what else God wants to do for you. It is not an excuse for laziness or indulging in ease and slothfulness. Because you can say, oh yeah, I want to honor my brother so he's better than me, let him do all the job. No, that's not what he's talking about. It's not an excuse for laziness and slothfulness. It is an honor in seeking service and seeking to bless and to release us into what God wants. In verse 13, it calls it a liberal love. A liberal love. And he says, in Matthew Henry, he says, it is not enough to draw out the soul. We must draw out the pulse as well. So there is a connection between what we see and how we love people and the resources that God has put within us. I've always believed and I've always said, and Acts of Apostles prove it, that there is enough resources within the body of Christ to meet the needs within the body of Christ. The Bible says, as the freely distributed and gave and released, nobody was lacking. Every need was met. Every psychological need, every emotional need, every physical need, every financial need, Every need and aspiration of all of our hearts is within the body. The difficulty is not God's provision. Oftentimes, it's about the distribution and about the mapping out. And that's why the apostles recognize that. And it says, when that problem began to arise, they say, we cannot leave this ministry that God has called us to. But it is important, though, that we do not allow this to come into it. So say, so therefore, give us godly men. Let them look after this business. Make sure that nobody is neglected. 
Because it's equally as important as ensuring that nobody is as neglected as it is important to ensure that the ministry of the word and prayers are going on. They go side by side. They're equally important. And when this love is maturing amongst us, it is a giving and a liberal love. And that will come to manifest. In verse 15, it talks about a sympathizing love. There is an emotional component and a feeling. He says, you rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. There is a way we connect with one another, even at that level. It's not about envying people who are prospering beyond us. Or having a sort of condemnation or condescending about people who are struggling or who have come into hardship because we think maybe we're better than them or because they're not doing what is right. It's about recognizing that in all of those situations, we're there for one another. I think one of those uh, regions beyond things is about, you know, you know, rejoicing in one another's success, you know, seeking and fighting for one another, such as carrying one another along. And the Bible says when one is strong, the other might be weak. But if the strong lifts up the weak, and then when you are weak, somebody can come alongside and raise you as well. Because they are, we all go through different phases and different circumstances in life. But when those of us who are strong, encourage and strengthen and carry the brothers with sympathy, with empathy, with affection, with kindness, knowing that you could easily be in that same situation. When you come alongside them and give them whatever support that will need, Knowing that you could be in a similar situation. If there is that mutual sharing and working together and understanding, there will be that growth and development within the body. Verse 16. It talks about a united love. Live in harmony with one another. There is a sense of a, of a unity, of seeking together, of working together. And of course, that brings that serious challenge which we all have to grapple with all of the time. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. In order for unity to reign, in order for that love of unity to be manifest, it comes packaged and wrapped in humility. We cannot be united. We cannot work together if there is no humility in our hearts, if we are not linked into ourselves. And that moves on to that second part in 16. It says, true love cannot be without lowliness. Philippians 2 verse 3 tells us about Jesus, how he humbled himself. He is the epitome of this love nature. Even Jesus humbled himself. He did not count himself as above or anybody else. I want us to open to Psalm 131, because that is a passage that really challenged me as we look about this subject of humility and love. And the psalmist says in, verse, in Psalm 131, I'll just quickly find that. Psalm 131, almost there. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. 
I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. When I looked at that passage, I said to myself, can you try and imagine? This is David speaking to the Lord. He's speaking to the maker of all things. The one before whom nothing is hidden. The one where darkness is as light to him. The one who searches the very depths of our being and knows everything. And the psalmist stood before this awesome, holy, fearsome God. And yet he was able to alter these words. And he says, Lord, my heart is not proud. My heart is not proud. My heart is not proud. I am not, I do not go about with an haughty eyes. There is no belligerence in me. There is no self-confidence in my ability, my possessions, my career, my whatever it is that other people will look to. This is before the Lord God, our maker. And I said, Lord, can you bring me to that place in my life where I can stand before you in your presence? It doesn't matter what people think of me. Because this is not the kind of things. People can look at you and think, oh, you're the best in the world. But no, they don't have a clue what they're talking about. But this is before the Lord. Lord, can you bring me to that place? And I'm thinking, if David is saying this, it is possible. If he was living under the old covenant... And he could walk with God and come to a place where he can alter the statement. How much more those of us who are walking in the covenant of grace that is in Christ Jesus. It is possible. God can do something in my heart and with my life. When this love, when I lay hold of this love, God's kind of love, it can decimate the power and the poison of pride. It can bring me into a place of humility in God. It's not saying I'm perfect. And he's not saying all my actions and behaviors and words always match up. No, he says, but my heart, my heart, the recesses of his being, the very fiber of his being, which God himself attests to and knows, God knows that in his heart, he's not proud. That the desire of his heart is to be low and humble before his God. Because he recognizes the power of Christ's life within him. And we look at different letters in the apostles. And Paul brings us severally to Philippians. It is possible. Because the spirit we have received from Christ is a spirit of humility. He says, who is the greatest among you? It's the one who serves. It's the one who washes the disciples. He says, as I have led you. So you go, lead one another, practice the same thing. How have I come amongst you? Have I come amongst the one who lords it over you? He says, no, I have come as one who washes your feet. And if he who died for us is come amongst us as one who is able to wash our feet, how much more us? And if it is his love that is driving us, if it is his love that is propelling us, the nature of that love will be exactly the nature of the love that Jesus promised us. 
And He will drive us on our knees. And nothing will be too low for us. I think Matthew Aaron says, the only thing that is beneath you is sin. The only thing that is beneath you, that is too low for you, is sin. Nothing else should be ever be below a child of God. Nothing else. Nothing else. When you see the value of every life and the value of every soul, when you realize that these are the ones for whom God dies, then it doesn't matter. James challenges us in James 2. He says, when you come into your assembly, a rich man comes, a poor man comes, how do you respond? That is a test of our heart, where our heart lies. The one that is neatly dressed and fancy, do you give him a higher place? And the one that seems drag and everything, do you condescend and treat them disrespectfully? He says, if that is your heart, you've not met this test yet. You have not yet allowed that love to seep into you and bring the fruit of what he desires to do. But this is what it promises. Don't be confident of your own sufficiency or your own wisdom so as to despise others or think you have no need of them. Be not wise by yourself. Remembering the merchandise, I love the way Matthew Henry says this. This is the merchandise of wisdom that we profess. As with every merchandise consists of commerce. And commerce is about receiving and returning. And any business person will know that. It's about an exchange. It's about an exchange. We're giving, we're receiving. There's never a sense that I am for myself. I am totally dependent on myself. There is a sense of our connectedness with one another and God walking through that, bringing us into all He wants us to do. And in verse 18, finally, it talks about a love that engages. And He says in that wonderful exhortation that as long as, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The exercise and the pursuit of your walking love is to be able to come you to place that. And he talks about revenge. It's mine to avenge. Do not take revenge, my friends. And I love the way it introduces that passage, that verse 19. It comes with an affectionate plea. It's not a commanding plea. You can see almost a tart in Paul's tone when he comes into that passage. It says, my friend, my brother, my sister, my beloved, my brethren, do not take revenge. It is not your place to take revenge. Otherwise, you're stepping into the place of God. We are not God and we cannot trust our own judgment and understanding to stand to take revenge. He says, rather what? Leave it to God. Let God avenge you. On the contrary, it is God's purpose to avenge and to repay. Leave that to God. Don't step into it. 
And this morning I feel in particular, as we have a bit of time for ministry, that God wants to speak to this in, in our hearts. To not take revenge means we have to take our hearts and complaints to God. It drives intimacy and openness to God because only a heavenly perspective in a very sore situation can help you to turn the other cheek or look away or strength to bless rather than cause. This is one of the keys to spiritual growth and maturity. As we lean into God, we discover grace that is beyond our own ability or strength. We create room and capacity in our heart and spirit for God's love through His Spirit to be multiplied and increased in us. And as His love is shed abroad in our hearts, we can, out of the abundance of our hearts, begin to express and show forth more grace. Alas, you realize you can bless those who curse you. You can actually love your persecutors and those who irritate you. You can pray for those who despise you. And who try to belittle you and make your life intolerable. Those who seek to harm you and to despise you. You can express the nature of your heavenly father to the world around you. It is possible in God. At the crucifixion, Jesus nailed to that cross. It says, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. What greater example. At the point of man's greatest cruelty, there was a compassionate prayer from the heart of a maker. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. So, when you come to that place where you're sorely hurt, and when people have genuinely done things that have damaged you, as you draw into grace in God, as you open your heart with Him, if you choose not to revenge and avenge, it drives you into the presence of God. It takes you into His heart because only the Spirit of Christ can provide such a strength that will make you to be able to stand in the place of crucifixion and no cause, no railings, no bitterness, no anguish, no revengeful profession comes out of your mouth all that comes out of your house is genuine blessings and saying father forgive them father forgive them father forgive them these are not imagined soreness these are reality of the brutality of life but even in that reality none of the reality of our lives negate the reality of the power of the love of Christ in our hearts And even in that same state, you can look up and say, Father, forgive them. I tell you, that is not possible in human strength. That is the mark of a man and a woman who was pressed into the love of God. Where the love of God has taken over your heart. I remember when I first got saved. And I had some relationships that I struggled with. That I really found difficult. And I I struggled with a bit of forgiveness and bitterness there. And I remember after I got saved, and one day I was in a theological argument with some leaders in the church I used to go to there. And they were saying, how do you know you're saved? Because some of them didn't believe in this born-again stuff we're packaging about. 
and they were trying to get me into a theological argument. And I said, I've never seen a commentary in my life. I never even knew there were resources. The only thing I had was my King James Gideon's Bible, New Testament. But I remember looking at him and smiling. I said, I know I'm saved. I know. Because I'm finding in my heart a love for the people I once detested and I couldn't stand. That is not me. That is God at work in me. The mark of my salvation is the proof of the nature of Christ being expressed in me. That is not Taiwo. That is the work of the cross in my heart. I may not be able to give you the theological language and argument, but the reality of the fruit of Christ in me was even tangible for me to know, even as a 17-year-old, and to be able to testify and to say, God is at work within me. I cannot deny the reality of the work of grace in my heart. Even if I don't have the theological argument to bring you down. That is what he offers us. In closing, this morning, at the heart of building a true community, it's the challenge to be devoted to one another. Devoted to one another. I felt the Lord take me back to Acts chapter 2 from verse 42. And it talked about the apostles, how they gathered together. They continued in the apostles' fellowship and doctrine. Breaking of bread. Meeting together from house to house. Sharing faith with one another. Distributing their needs. One to one all of the time. We cannot genuinely come into the fullness of this grace when we're not engaging and living alongside one another. And when we talk about MCOM, that is not a fancy word. And we might have different connotations of it, whether you call it self church or anything you call it. No, no, no. But that is not a man-made structure. The heart of the Christian call, as we see in Acts of Apostles, is that we must do life together. That devotion to one another is at the very heart of the call of God upon our lives. It is what releases us into the fullness of what God has. That was the way they did it then. We can call whatever name we see. That's not the easier. We can choose whatever model. That's not the point. But at the heart of it, the principle of it, the model of it, is that you cannot be a disciple. You cannot walk with, in this journey of life freelancing on your own. It's devoted to one another. Committed to one another. It's not about you. The world tells you it's about you. No, it's not about you. It's about him. It's about him and what he wants to do in us and through us. The Bible says the excellency of God is made manifest through his church. Through his body on earth, it's about him. And if you're not connected, if you're not devoted to one another, if you're not working in the fullness of what he wants, we're missing out on his purposes and on his counsel. So it's not the recent father that the elders have come unto or Emmanuel community. No, that's not what it's about. This is about life. This is about establishing your place in God. Let's go back to the scriptures. Let's go back to the heart of what he's called us to. Let's not get distracted by whatever terminology we look. Because at the heart of it is what God has called us to. 
So this morning, I think like myself, some of us will need to repent before the Lord. Are we devoted to one another? Are we devoted to His call for us within His body? Are we committed and consecrated to one another? Not just running your race, but making sure that your brother and sister are equally running their race. That there is a mutual caring, uplifting, strengthening, and watching over one another. So that at that point, when we finish the journey, it will not just be about you, it will be about him. And all that he's been able to enable you to do and accomplish through the power of his love are working in your heart. If the band can begin to come, please. The past can rob us of our present and our future in God. Are you overcome by the past evil done to you as to not live in the fullness of God's provision for you today? Or are you overcoming evil by continuing to do good? Are you allowing the truth of God to set you free? Are you growing in grace? This morning you need to decide. Are you on the Lord's side? Remember the first verse of this chapter. Be not conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be conformed to the world means you're living by the principles and the dictates of the world. Transformation comes when you submit yourself to the authority of God's word. Who is on the Lord's side? Emmanuel. Are we going to arise this morning? Are we going to shake off the dust? Are we going to come alive to our maker? Are we going to seek his glory that he may find us worthy to bear his name? God with us. God with us. That is not just empty rhetoric. That is reality for us. That this is a place where God dwells. That we are a community where His presence is manifested. Moses says to them, this is the only thing that makes you different from everybody else on the surface of the heart. Why? His presence goes with you. Moses knew that. He says, if your presence will not go with us, just abandon it. Close down this place. Let's all go back and do whatever we want to do. It's not worded. It is not worded. The only thing that makes it worth it is that the presence of God reigns on this house, on this communities. In our one-to-ones, in our twos, in our threes, every gathering, every time we come together, what marks us is that His presence is with us. And that presence is manifested as His love grows, multiplies, engages, and takes hold of our lives. That is the scope this morning. Who is on the Lord's side? Take that so.